I was an officer for a very brief period of time. Um, and I don't think I've ever, in any other line of work, I don't think I've ever quite felt so a part of like one unit. Um, and yet at the department, so separate from everyone. When I was at the department, there would be officers who'd walk down the hallway and they wouldn't even look at me. They wouldn't acknowledge my existence. They wouldn't respond when I said hello because I was new. And I get that because inexperience in this line of work could be the difference between life and death in the field. So I understood I needed to earn my place there. Um, and so, yeah, I felt separate. But when I left the department, when I was out in the field doing my job, um, I knew that that same officer who ignored me in the hallway would be there in half a second. He'd be listening to his radio, listening to my tone of voice as I called in a domestic call um, to see if, if I was stressed or needed uh, assistance. Um, they'd circle the block. You'd have officers on duty, off duty, this town, that town, uh, retired, not retired. They'd all be listening and they'd be there if, if an officer went down or was hurt. So it was this really cool, um, really cool thing between feeling like you're so part of one unit, um, one family, and yet, uh, within the department, so separate. Yeah. Never felt anything like it. Well, as we continue our theme on belonging here, let's start with a question. What would you say has been the most divisive issue in church life in the past 25 years? Most divisive issue. Now, your first thought might run to some political issue, abortion or immigration. It might run to some theological debate, predestination, the end times, the work of the Holy Spirit. And certainly, churches have, have experienced a division over questions like that. But if we're honest, I think we would quickly recognize that the most divisive issue in church life and churches like this over the past 25, year, 25 years has been worship. I mean, think about it, worship. There's hardly a church out there that hasn't been rocked by the so-called worship wars. Traditional versus contemporary. Liturgical versus casual. Hymns versus praise songs. Artsy versus whatever the opposite of artsy is. I don't really know. <laughs> hands raised or hands folded. Coat and tie or untucked shirt. Handbells or smoke machines. <laughs> I mean, you name it, we've, we've fought over it. Churches have split. Pastors have quit. Long-time members have walked away from their spiritual home because of worship. In fact, I would dare to suggest that when most people say they're having a hard time feeling like they belong in their church, it probably most often has to do with the worship life of the church. If you're wondering if you belong in your church, it may have to do with the worship life of the church. Now, that's not only ironic, it is tragic. Because worship ought to be the one thing that brings us together and that keeps us together week in and week out. Something has gone terribly wrong when worship becomes a divisive force in the church. So we're not going to solve that whole problem today. But we are going to talk a little bit about what worship actually is and why and how it's so important to belonging. Now, true belonging is our theme this fall. We're trying to speak into the, the loneliness, the fragmentation, the alienation that so many people are feeling in our culture and our world today. 
And so we're going to this book called Romans in the New Testament, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church like ours and a city like ours, Christians in the city of Rome, the cosmopolitan city of Rome. And many of them were struggling to feel like they belonged in their own church. Some of them were Jewish believers. They'd been part of this movement for a long time. But suddenly things changed, and they weren't sure they belonged anymore. Others of them, mostly Gentiles, were newer to this faith tradition. And they felt like second-class citizens because they didn't have the right religious credentials. They didn't know how to behave in church services. And chances are, many of us have sometimes wondered if we belong in the church we're attending. Am I known and valued here? Do I have a role to play in this church? Are these the kind of people and practices and beliefs that I want to be associated with? If you've ever wrestled with those kinds of questions, then the series is for you. But it's not just for those of us who are already here. This is for those people who are not yet here, who are still out there, people in our lives, people in the world who are looking for belonging, maybe more desperately than ever before. So we want to discover what true belonging is, not just so we can experience it, but so that we can offer it to the world. And so week by week here this fall, we're going to be looking at the marks of true community and belonging. So last week, we learned that we are a community centered on Jesus Christ. First thing. So we talked about the difference between a bounded community, a community of people defined by their criteria of de defining who's in and who's out, a bounded community. And then we talked about a centered community, a group of people defined by their center something strong and powerful and beautiful that brings them together from near and far. And we made clear that here at Grace, we are a centered community, centered around Jesus Christ. And so if you are in any way seeking, curious, following, struggling with, serving Jesus, then this is a place for you. You belong here. We are people moving towards Jesus. We said that we truly belong to each other as we truly belong to Christ. The more truly we seek and follow, the more truly we feel that sense of belonging. So that's how we got started. We are a Christ-centered community. If you're wondering what kind of church this is, today we're going to learn that we are a transcendent community. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means and why it's so important to belonging. And we're going to, once again, go to the book of Romans and once again focus on one verse in particular, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But before we get to that, just a quick follow-up on a story I told last week. I told the story of my son and his struggle to belong in his freshman year at Bedford High School uh, and how he found himself eating in the bathroom those first few weeks because he didn't want to sit by himself in the lunchroom. Well, my son, Brendan, actually listened to the message this past week. Uh, he lives out in Colorado. And uh, since he's a journalist, he wanted to set the record straight, OK? <laughs> You're never too young or old to correct your dad. So, so he sent me a text. For the record, he says, I ate my break muffin in the bathroom and my lunch at a table by myself. So I was a loser both publicly and privately, <laughs> OK? He also told me that the first person to sit with him in the lunchroom at BHS 
after a couple of weeks was Laura Whalen, the daughter of our own Pastor Doug. And she brought a bunch of girlfriends with her, so it turned out to be a really sweet deal for Brendan. Okay? <laughs> now, there's actually even more of that story to come later in the series, but we'll get to it. For now, back to Romans 12 and verse 1. Therefore, Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what exactly is worship? I think we'd all agree it's more than singing and praying and putting money in an offering plate. The definition I landed on many years ago that has been very helpful and clarifying to me is one I've offered and shared with you before. Worship is a whole person response to the character and work of God. A whole person response to the character and work of God. Let's begin with this idea that worship is a response, because Paul makes that clear to us in his opening word, therefore. Therefore tells us to pay attention to what's just been said, to pay attention to everything he's been talking about in chapters 1 through 11. And what he's been talking about in chapters 1 through 11 is the mercy of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, in the original language, it's actually plural. It's mercies, the mercies of God. Those first 11 chapters of Romans are some of the most magnificent theological passages in all of the Bible. And they begin with Paul telling us how God made us for himself, how he loves us and wants to be known by us, and how he loves us even when we fail to know and love him. It tells us how, how he sent his son Jesus into the world to be with us in our struggles and to go to the cross and suffer the consequences for all our sins and failures. He tells us how through faith in Christ, we can be forgiven for all those failures and, and set free to become new and better people. He tells how he'll give us his Holy Spirit so that we have power to, to live a new and better life. He tells us how he wants everyone in the world, Jew and Gentile, to experience this new and abundant life with God in this life and in the life to come. All these mercies of God, he describes. Therefore, he says, in response to all of that, offer yourselves in worship. And so worship is a response to the character and work of God, who he is and what he's done. When, when, God, when we recognize that God has made the world around us, we, we praise him for it. Hymns like, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. We sing it out loud. When we realize that God has seen us through another week, we come to church and we thank him for his faithfulness to us. God has provided for us abundantly, materially. And so we put we give back to him a portion of what he's given to us. And that's typically how we think of worship as spiritual activities like singing and praying and giving. And, and that's true. But there's more to worship than that. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies. 
That would have come as a shock to Paul's original leaders, readers, especially the Gentile readers. Because according to the Greeks, your body was an encumbrance, an embarrassing encumbrance. It was a, it was a prison for your true spiritual self, your soul. Bodies were used for earthly things like work or, or sport or sex. So what in the world did bodies have to do with a spiritual activity like worship? Now, Paul is reminding us that we are not just spiritual beings. We're material beings as well. We are body and soul. And what we do with our bodies affects our spirit. And what happens with our spirit affects what we do with our bodies. He's telling us that even earthly activities like working and playing and making love can actually be acts of worship that glorify God with the body and the spirits that he's given to us. We worship God with our whole selves, body and soul. But it's not just body and soul. It's our mind as well. That final phrase, this is your true and proper worship. Now, true and proper, it's a tricky word to translate in the original language. Some translations said, this is your reasonable worship, or this is your rational worship, or this is your intelligent worship. The idea is that our worship is informed by something, by truth. So we respond with our bodies, with our spirits, to something that we have learned or seen or discovered. That's why we include teaching in our worship. That's why we read the scripture. That's why we have people share stories of what God's done in our lives. As we encounter who God is and what he's done, we respond to him. Listening to the sermon isn't something you do after the worship. It's a part of the worship, and it informs our worship. So we worship God with our whole selves, our bodies, our minds, and our spirits, and we worship God with our whole lives as well. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, that would have shocked Paul's Jewish readers because they always thought of sacrifices as dead things, as animals that had been slaughtered, animals who died for the sins of the worshiper. So the worshiper didn't have to die. That's all they knew about worship was offering dead animals. And Paul's telling us, and he's telling his readers, that God was never really interested in the death of the animals. He was interested in the life of the worshiper. Worship is something we do with our lives, not with our death. Worship is not just something we do in a temple or a sanctuary. It's something we do on the job or at school or in home or around the neighborhood. Worship isn't something we do on Sundays and sacred days. It's something we do on Mondays and on Saturdays and every day in between. Worship isn't just how we sing and pray and give. It's how we work and pray and love the people around us. Love the Lord your God with your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. It's the whole thing. So worship is something to do with our whole selves and our whole lives. And we do it in response to the character and work of God. So that's the idea we have in mind as we design worship services from week to week. We design each service so that together we might encounter God, some aspect of his character or his work, his holiness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his mission in the world, his work on the cross. 
And then we encounter it in teaching or scripture or story. We respond to it. We, 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 we respond with our bodies. We, we sing. We stand. We clap. We, uh, we give an offering. We greet each other. We respond with our minds. We sit and think about what we've just heard. We turn it over and we reflect on it. And we respond with our spirits. We confess. We repent. We surrender. We yield. And then we go. We go out into the world to offer the rest of ourselves and the rest of our lives to God. That, my friend, is worship. A whole person response to the character and work of God. And it involves every part of our lives, every aspect of our being, and every day of the week. That's worship. So that's what worship is. But what does worship have to do with belonging? Why are we talking about worship in a series on belonging? Well, let me try to explain. Last week, we defined belonging as the sense that you're part of something larger, bigger than yourself. So belonging isn't just about having a bunch of people around you. It's about having people around you who are all about some big, important, influential, significant thing. Let's say I'm, I'm, doing some, I'm running some errands, and I stop at the convenience store. And I notice the guy behind the counter has a name tag on, and his name is Brian. And I said, hey, my, my name's Brian, too. He says, oh, that's cool. And I say, I see you spell it with a Y. That's how I, sp I spell, spell it, too. He says, oh, that's really cool. And then I say to him, hey, you know what? I know a couple other guys named Brian who spell it with a Y. We should all get together and hang out. <laughs> now, that's gotten weird. <laughs> I mean, it's nice to meet someone who spells their name the same way you do, but it doesn't mean you're going to be friends. <laughs> who wants to hang out with a bunch of guys named Brian? I mean, it's just not big enough. Belonging is about being part of something bigger, something beyond ourselves. People join a softball league or a softball team because they want to do more than just throw a ball around once in a while. They want to be part of a group of people who, who love softball, who want to practice and get better at it and compete. People join the Museum of Fine Arts because, because they believe in art. They want to promote art and preserve art and celebrate art and make it available to more and more people. Workers join trade unions because they believe in their trade, teaching or, or, or carpentry or truck driving or whatever it is. They want to be sure that their trade is, is, uh, is vital and effective and productive and profitable. In our bumper video, we heard, uh, we heard Blair from our Foxborough campus talk about her time on the police force and the sense of belonging to know that you're with a group of people who are out there saving lives and making communities safe for people. We belong to things that are bigger than we are. And that's why worship is so important to our belonging. Because when we worship, we remind ourselves that we're part of something big. The worldwide body of believers in Jesus Christ. Billions of us. Every nation, language, culture, social strata on the face of the earth. A body of people who've been around for a long, long time. We're part of something big. When we worship, we remember that, that we're part of a bigger story. A story that began all the way back at the creation of the universe and has been unfolding all through time to this very moment and a story that will continue to unfold until a time when God brings all things together in Christ. That's a big story. 
that we belong to. When we worship, we remember that we're part of a big mission, saving the world, saving people's lives by sharing the love and truth of Jesus Christ everywhere with everyone, every day. That's a big, hairy mission. And, and we remember that we belong to a big God, a God who made the heavens and the earth, a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere present and always good, a God who loves us so much that he gave us his one and only son to die to bring us back to himself. And so every week we come together as a community of people seeking and following Jesus, and we say, I'm with them. I'm about that. I belong to him. We sing it and we say it. We preach it and we pray it. And then we go out into the world and we live it with every fiber of our being. That's worship. That's worth belonging to. When we worship, we remember that we belong to something and someone bigger than ourselves. We belong to something and someone bigger than ourselves. There are many places you can find belonging in the world today, but none is as big and bold and beautiful as the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why Christ and Christ alone is the center of this community. That's why Christ and Christ alone is worthy of our worship. Anything else, anyone else is too small. Back in the spring last year, Karen and I joined the, the new Lifetime Fitness Center that opened up in Burlington. Maybe you've seen it there, rising from the office park on Middlesex Turnpike. So last spring when they were opening, they had an open house before they opened for, for founding members, which we happened to be one of. So we said, hey, let's swing by and take a look at what's going on there. Well, as we approached, we found ourselves in this line of traffic, hundreds of cars lined up to get into this place. The parking lot was already full, and they were shuttling people from distant office park parking lots. We joined this line of people, men, women, children, families, streaming in to this building, this huge, gleaming, welcoming space. The place had been open for literally 30 minutes, and it was already swarming with people. We wandered the halls, admiring the cafe and the, and the beauty salon and the spa and the pool. And the, and the, uh, we oohed and odd over the workout rooms and the, and the treadmill and the stationary bikes and the weight machines. And people were talking amongst themselves about, about which machines they were going to use and which classes they would take and uh, what day of the week they were going to come and how wonderful life would be when they joined this club. And suddenly I realized this isn't just a health club. This is a temple. <laughs> People are coming here to worship, to center their lives around something, around fitness, around health, around beauty, around convenience, around themselves. You can't walk five steps in that place without seeing yourself in a mirror. It's scary. <laughs> Now, obviously, there's nothing wrong with joining a health club. I bump into a lot of Grace Chapel folks there and pastors from other churches coming and going. There's nothing wrong with working out and trying to stay physically and emotionally fit. 
Just like there's nothing wrong with belonging to a softball team or the museum or a trade union at work. It's just that none of those places, none of those communities are worthy of our worship. They're not worth centering our lives around. Earlier in this letter to the Romans, Paul, Paul describes our human tendency to worship the wrong things, smaller things. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 25. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. See, as human beings, we're wired to worship, to praise things that are praiseworthy, to celebrate beauty and goodness, to devote ourselves to things that ultimately matter. And that's all fine. And there are many things in this world to praise and celebrate and even to be devoted to. But there's only one thing worth centering our lives around, and that is Jesus Christ and his gospel and his work in this world. There are many places to find belonging in this world, and that's okay. But there's only one place as big and beautiful and bold as the church of Jesus Christ. Anything else is too small. So once a week, we come together at times like this, in places like this, to, to, to encounter Jesus Christ, to center ourselves around Christ, who embodies the character and work of God. And we sing about him, and we speak about him, and we hear from him, and we respond to him, and then we go out to live for him and share him with the world around us. That's worship. One of the gurus of modern worship was a man named Robert Weber. He was a professor of mine in college and one of the pioneers in what we call the ancient modern approach to worship. He said something I've never forgotten. Worship finds us in our dislocations and relocates us in God. Finds us in our dislocations and relocates us in God. See, every week things happen to us, good things and bad things and happy things and unexpected things and hard things. Hurricanes hit. Houses blow up. People disappoint us. We disappoint ourselves. Work wears us out. Worry overwhelms us. Play distracts us. Success seduces us. And any one of these things, and certainly all of these things, can knock us off-center. We, we, we lose our bearings. We forget who we are and why we're here. You've heard the old preacher's cliche, the only problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. <laughs> all kinds of things can knock us off-center. But then we come to worship, to times and places like this, and we find the center again. We come together around Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection, and coming again, the new life he offers to us. We remember who he is and, and, and who we belong to. We remember what he asks of us, that we join him in, in that great work in this world. And then we head out of this place knowing we belong to something and someone bigger than all of those other things. 
And we said last week that belonging is one of the reasons people come to church, and it is. But you know what the number one reason is people come to church? To seek God. Duh. <laughs> it really is. That's the number one reason people come to church, because they're seeking something Someone beyond themselves, something bigger and more beautiful and mysterious and powerful. They're seeking something transcendent. So we've talked a lot about what worship is and why it's so important to belonging. We haven't talked much about how we worship, what kinds of music we sing, how loud the music is, how long the sermon should be whether we should raise our hands or clap our hands or fold our hands or sit on our hands. So we haven't talked about all the mechanics of worship. It's not because those things don't matter. It's just that they don't matter nearly as much as the who and the why of worship. God is far more interested in who we're worshiping and why we're worshiping than how we actually do it. But since we brought up the subject... Let me just offer a few words about how we worship here at Grace, and then we'll kind of wrap things up. First, you should know that worship is a very high priority for us because we believe that the number one reason people come to church is to experience God. But the statistics also tell us that less than half of people who attend a local church actually sense God's presence in that church. And so it's not automatic that you come to a time and place like this. And so we very thoughtfully and prayerfully and weeks and months in advance begin to plan and design our worship services to select music and readings and creative elements that might help us to encounter God in some particular way and then help us respond to him. And we all know, you, you can't program God's presence. You can't engineer an encounter with God. But you can create time and space and environments in which that can happen. And so we, we are really intentional about that. And we make it a top priority. And we believe that worship is so important to, to belonging that, that we hope you'll make it a top priority as well. That you'll, you'll design your entire week around the hour or two or three you spend with God and his people in worship. And by the way, if Sunday morning becomes a challenge for you, either because of work or kids or if you're traveling for work or just vacation and you miss the morning, know that we have a service every Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. It's right here on the Lexington campus. We call it GC at night. Pastor Tim Galley hosts that service with a really warm and wonderful presence. Josh Jacob from Wilmington usually leads us in worship, and he's got a killer group of musicians with him. It's a kind of more intimate and relaxed environment than some of our other settings. Sometimes it's a repeat of the morning message. Sometimes one of our other preachers brings a message on the same text and topic. But it's there every week, Sunday at 5, and it might just work well for you. And I should point out that we're a very diverse congregation. We draw people from a whole variety of traditions and religions and backgrounds and cultures, and we love that. Designing worship would be a whole lot simpler if we were a homogeneous church, if everybody were of the same generation or the same culture or the same religious tradition, because we'd all kind of like the same stuff, 
And some churches are like that, and it works really well. We happen to prize diversity here. We love that we're multicultural and multi-generational, and that we have people from so many backgrounds. And because of that, we're very eclectic in our styles of worship. We'll pull things from all kinds of traditions and styles and time periods in order to create an environment that on any given week might help us to encounter God. And so we're, we're willing to try new things. We're willing to flex with something that may not be our preference because we know it means something to someone else. Because we know we want every generation to find a way to connect here. So because all these things are so important, because worship is so important, we want to be continuing to try things here at Grace in this coming year. We want to try rearranging the order once in a while just to keep it fresh, to maybe try sitting in silence once in a while just to engage our minds and our spirits, or maybe getting up and moving around the room once in a while to engage our bodies. Maybe we should draw on something ancient, a creed or a prayer from a 1,000 years ago. Another time, something as contemporary as a drama or a video or a clip from a movie. We might find different ways of responding to the message on a Sunday, different ways even of delivering the message on a Sunday. So let's come every week this fall with open and expectant spirits, looking for an encounter with God and then responding to it with our whole selves when we're together and then as we head out the door. So that's what and who and why of worship. I'll just finish with this. Back in the spring, Karen and I went to, uh, to the U2 concert here at TD Garden uh, in, in Boston. Now, I don't think for a minute that makes me hip because there wasn't anybody there under 40 years old. So I'm under no delusions about that. But I was struck by a couple things. The first thing was I, I was struck by was as, as things got underway, I realized these people weren't just here for the, for the music. They were here for the community, for the belonging. 40,000 people crammed into one space. Long lines of people buying T-shirts that declare their allegiance to the band. As we waited for the concert to start a long time, people talked about, about how many concerts they'd been to, how long they'd been following the band, which their favorite uh, songs were. It was all about community, belonging to this people who followed this band. But then, as the concert unfolded, as the band worked their way through their carefully designed program, it became clear to me that people were there for something else besides just community. They were there for transcendence. They were there to be part of something big and beautiful and mysterious and out of the ordinary, something that took them beyond themselves to another place. In fact, that was the name of the tour, Beyond Innocence and Beyond Experience. You talk about transcendence. They wanted to experience something they couldn't experience listening on their headphones by themselves at home or even watching a YouTube. They had to be in the room. They had to be in the house. The band sang about things like love and justice and freedom and even faith. And one of their classic tunes just put the whole thing together for me. Hello, hello. We're at a place called Vertigo. Lights down low, and all I know is that you give me something I can feel. You are teaching me 
to kneel. Whoa. The crowd didn't know it, but they were worshiping. Bono and the band had pointed them towards God, to someone and something beyond themselves. And so they raised their hands, and they raised their voices to something bigger and more beautiful, something worth belonging to, even for one night. The truth is, we are all looking for moments like that, moments of transcendence. When we realize there's more going on than meets the eye, when we realize that we are more than just material beings, when we realize there's a bigger story being told, a story of, of, of redemption, bigger and beautiful than anything we could ever imagine, a story that we are invited into through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not Bono, and this isn't TD Garden, but I'm telling you, the church is the one place on earth where you can find transcendence every week. Because when we worship, we remember that we belong to something and someone bigger than ourselves. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this vision you've given us of worship for reminding us of the significance of what we do as we gather in times and places like this each week. We pray, Lord, that you would meet us in the weeks to come. You would do something great in our lives individually and collectively, something we can not only celebrate but then go out and share with the rest of the world. So thank you for these few moments that we have to be together to sing and say and celebrate who you are and what you've done. We offer to you in Jesus' name. Amen.